Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. Hey, today we're going to talk about two important topics that I know you're going to enjoy. One of the topics is we're going to talk guns. I mean, that's what it's all about anyway, right? Guns. So we're going to talk about guns. But first, before we get to guns, I want to talk to you about this incredible and ridiculous wokeism being applied to the Second Amendment. Let me tell you, in my practice of law, I see systemic racism in the gun laws. I have defended many, many minorities where the underlying prosecution had the entire taint of racism around it. I get real racism, but I also get it when what's being put out there is pure crap. And we're going to talk about some pure crap that's being put out there in the name of this woke nonsense. So let me just tell you right now, this woke stuff, I am so not woke that my name is napping. Okay? That's how not woke I am. Because woke is this thing that is a destructive force in America. It is there to create division, not unity. It's not in line with what Dr. King talked about. It's really something that is undermining our ability to have an excellent racial relationship. And it's very frustrating. And you see it now where everything's racist and regardless of whether it really isn't racist, we're gonna twist it into being racism. And it gets to the point of just being ridiculous. And as far as the application of wokeism to our gun rights, probably the most incredible recently that I've seen is this claim, this allegation that the Second Amendment is racist. The constitutional right to keep and bear arms is racist. Now, um, I took here an article from NPR, so you know where that's going, right? But I think it really puts it out there. I mean, you know, National Public Radio. I mean, uh, it's not like there's enough left-wing media out there. Our government needs to fund even more left-wing media, right? I mean, that's, that's what NPR is all about. So, you know, it's not enough to have uh, CNN and MSNBC and all that. We, we got to also have government-funded leftist uh Radio, but nonetheless, the uh, the article coming out of NPR says its title: "Historian uncovers the racist roots of the Second Amendment." The racist roots of the Second Amendment? What are you kidding me? This is insanity, and it's just pushing this narrative and this agenda to a level of stupidity never before seen. Now, what is this article about? Well, this article is about this so-called historian, Carol Anderson, who has written a, uh, a book, a book about this topic called The Second Race and Guns in a Fatally Unequal America. And she puts forward this hypothesis that she is that this is readily, you know, accepted by the way by uh, 
by NPR, apparently, that the Second Amendment is racist. And the reason that it's racist, the reason we have the Second Amendment, you see, folks, was because of Madison and Jefferson and the Founding Fathers being absolutely petrified of a slave rebellion taking place in America. See, the Second Amendment isn't about, you know, General Gage seizing the colonists' arms. Oh, no, no, no. It's not about that. It's not about how we suffered under the British taking our guns. Oh, no, 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 no. And how how important the militia was to the revolution, how important having the armed citizenry was. No, no, it's about race. What a joke. And why? where is this fear, this incredible fear of a slave rebellion so that we could put this amendment in by Madison, you know, written by Madison, so we could put down slave rebellions. That's what it's about. Oh, because they were scared to death about what was happening in Haiti, the Haitian revolution, slave revolution in Haiti. And that scared them so much that we needed a second amendment. This is our theory, that we needed a second amendment so that the Americans could be armed and put down a slave rebellion. Well, you know, just doing just a smidge of research into this, very interesting because you don't have to take my word for it. Hey, just just go to Wiki, look at the Haitian Revolution, right? And it was a revolution by self-liberated slaves. And and when did this revolt begin? Oh, seventeen ninety one. Oh, wait a minute. When was our Constitution signed? When was that? I, I oh, 1787. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I missed something. You mean you mean you mean four years prior to our Constitution is somehow this re- revolt influenced them? Now, now, granted, now, granted, right now, granted, the Haitian Revolution, uh, has slaves had been rebelling for. A while, I mean, in all kinds of respects, as as slaves are known to do. And uh, the key thing with the earlier slave rebellion, uh, which has been brought into Haiti in the uh, 1750s and 60s, well, that revolution's interesting because they were trying. It was headed by a guy, Francois... Uh, Mackandal. Now he died in 1758, but Mackandal, he was uh, a Haitian uh, leader, and he's uh, sometimes he's described as like a Haitian voodoo priest, and he instigated this revolution. And you know what his method of rebellion, which actually did have a lot of effect of killing. slave masters and such was the use of poison derived from natural plants. So he had a pretty intense knowledge of poisons. 
and he organized a large plot to poison the masters and their water supplies and animals. And this did spread terror among slave owners, and it killed hundreds before uh, Mackinac was apparently uh, uh, a secret, was uh, tortured out of another slave, etc. So poisons was the weapon of choice in that. Um, what are you going to do? Shoot some poison? I mean, you know, wh where's the uh, uh, need to have arms to put down a slave rebellion facing massive poisoning? But that revolution, slavery, didn't even really have the effect that the uh, slave revolution that finally did have the effect, and that was uh, in the... the the years after the Constitution. Yet, her whole theory is apparently based on this fear of slave rebellion and that uh, the Second Amendment is uh, it was uh, created for that purpose. It was there, uh, according to uh, uh, the NBR, NPR article, uh, the language of the amendment, Anderson says, was crafted to ensure that slave owners could quickly crush any rebellion or resistance from those whom they had enslaved. And uh, she said, um, the right to bear arms, presumably guaranteed to all citizens, had been repeatedly denied to black people. Now, you know, there is a lot of truth to blacks not being granted their rights as under the Constitution, and that's something that I personally uh, am greatly opposed uh, to seeing happen. I want all citizens to have their rights, including the Second Amendment. But the derivation of our rights is not because of some fear of slave rebellion. Our rights and the Constitution and the, and the Bill of Rights came from our founding fathers' experience with the British. And I'm not just talking about the Second Amendment. What do you think the Fourth Amendment for a guarantee against search and seizure? What do you think that was all about? Well, the British would go around and search anywhere they wanted to search. There was no privacy. The British could just search with blank warrants, blank warrants. Come in, search premises. You had no guarantee of rights or privacy. And this pissed the colonists off. The British tried to control our ability to speak freely, to have a free press, to put out information about the wrongdoings of the British. Again, piss the colonists off. Gee, what do you think the Third Amendment is? Barring quartering of soldiers. Gee, why is that in there? Well, it's because the British quartered soldiers. They took over your property and forced you to care for soldiers. Guess what it did? Piss the colonists off. Go down the Bill of Rights. Why do we have a Sixth Amendment right? Why do we have the right to counsel? Why do we have a right to remain silent? Why do we have, because these were the things that were the abuses that our founding fathers suffered from the, at the hands of the British. And so they wanted to address that. They wanted to address these things. That's why we have a Bill of Rights in the Constitution. 
The question of what rights does the Bill of Rights give us? I always like to say, what rights are we given in the Bill of Rights? And the answer is none. We aren't given any rights. You see, those rights are guaranteed. We already have the rights. Those rights, as our founding fathers knew, were the fundamental, natural rights of every human being. The government doesn't give you those rights. We have those rights. But what it can do is guarantee those rights. So the Bill of Rights was a guarantee of rights in which the British had routinely violated these natural, fundamental rights that we already had. To claim that the Second Amendment itself is racist is absurd. It goes against the history of our Constitution and why we have this guarantee of rights. To claim that it's based on, you know, fear of slave rebellions is absurd and a, a silly, stupid stretch in the name of this wokeism movement that we have to reject. We need to have a brotherhood of all of all of the Americans and race and skin color. Our objective is to be equal and to see each other as Americans. And the unfortunate thing is in our current time frame right now, more and more is done to create more division, to do the opposite, to just create a situation where, you know, what is the ultimate goal here? A race war? What? I mean, it's disgusting. You've got to treat every person as an individual. Every person has those individual rights. And that's what we have to stand for as Americans, hand in hand. So when we get back, we're going to talk about something real fun, guns. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law, a bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am a lawyer. I am a lawyer. So I really appreciate you listening to Gun Lawyer. And uh, make sure you uh, subscribe. 
it's important that you tell your friends to subscribe by subscribing to Gun Lawyer. It gives us the voice, the ability to speak about these topics, not get shut down by uh, by big tech overlords and such, and have a subject of the propaganda that they uh, constantly want to shove down our throat and, you know, making silly statements about the Second Amendment having racist roots. Uh, these are the kind of things we can discuss on this show because uh, it's difficult to talk about these things honestly and openly uh, given the restrictions that are placed on us. So please subscribe, tell your friends to subscribe, and check out our website at www.gun.lawyer. It's a .lawyer, not a .com. And you can uh, catch episodes, learn about the show. You can get this podcast anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. So uh, tune in and thanks for uh, being here. So let's talk about guns. And, and I want to talk about guns and the law. And here's the deal. We often talk about this ban, that ban, specific guns, specific attacks. All that's good stuff. We need to know it. We need to know it to defend yourself. But one of the things I want to talk about today about guns that can actually give you a low profile, guns that can uh, uh, not be as um, out there in terms of the efforts by the anti-gunners to disarm us, to make individuals raise an eyebrow. And for many of us that live in states where the anti-gun forces are so extreme, it's important to see if there are ability to have firearms that can uh, either A, not fall under a gun ban, or B, not make it where it's something that draws unwarranted uh, attention, particularly if you have to use a firearm in self-defense in any of these other jurisdictions. So, I love all guns. I love tactical guns. I think they're great. And they have their place. They're fun. They're cool. They're great. But if you have a tactical gun that you're using for self-defense in an anti-gun jurisdiction, it can paint a picture, if the prosecutor wishes to, of trying to put you in a category of having an extreme weapon that, remember, the media has propagandized over. You know, oh, who needs a, a so-called assault firearm? The only purpose is to kill, fire 100 bullets a second, and all this nonsense out. But it's over and over and over again. So that individuals that don't know guns, they see a black rifle, and they're immediately like, why does this guy have this? Blah, blah, blah. That's one of those killer guns that just runs around by itself, killing hundreds of people. You know, this is the absurdity of it, but you don't want to have that perception in these seriously anti-gun areas. In many of these areas, uh, great semi-autos and tactical guns are prohibited in a multitude of ways, and it's a whole matrix. So let's step outside of that for a minute. And again, I love all those guns. It's not about not having those guns, but just taking a step back and thinking in terms of where you may be living and if you need something for self-defense and you have to get in front of a jury, what do you want that jury to see or not see? So one of the things right off the bat, make sure your gun 
does not have some name on it, you know, like the Death Slayer 2000 or something, because that's going to be just constantly reiterated to the jury that the defendant used his Death Slayer 2000 to kill, you know, to kill the uh, victim, even though it was self-defense. And we have a, so stay away from guns with uh, names like that. Those names, the prosecutor will jump on it and hammer the jury. But even beyond, before, beyond the names, beyond names is a problem. You can also look and say, well, are there certain calibers and such that might portray more menace to, an, to a jury than others? And uh, part of that might come down to seriously think about whether or not you want to use a magnum to defend yourself. Now, it's not as bad these days. But it's still a potential, and if you're using a 44 Magnum, they're always going to conjure the Dirty Harry, the most powerful handgun in the world, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, the Magnum thing, you know, and I know there's 357 Magnum. It's a great round, great self-defense round. Been around a long time, but it still has that Magnum name. You might want to consider whether or not you want to defend yourself with a Magnum. Now, the interesting thing is, if you choose a firearm that doesn't have that name but you still have the same kind of power for example a 10 millimeter well a 10 millimeter is not a magnum but it can approach a 41 magnum power and with the 10 uh, millimeter you can have more rounds even than in a revolver that might normally fire 44 magnum or 41 magnum etc so if you look to the caliber you're actually using good idea to stick with something if you can avoid it that has a a name think in terms of how a jury that doesn't know guns is going to feel about you using a quote magnum uh, in self-defense also consider that the uh, jury isn't going to understand these things and the prosecutor is going to jump on any uh, term beware of what is on your gun beyond the name of the firearm. So there have been uh, issues where individuals have put biblical quotes on their firearm, etc. There are situated individuals put, you know, the Punisher skull on their firearm. You know, they seracote it to look really badass, and it looks cool. But if that's the gun you end up using, think about that being presented to the jury. And how you're going to look. You got to consider those things, particularly if you're in bad anti gun majority jurisdictions. So, what about self defense in the home? Well, one ideal firearm for self defense, and it's not me, I mean, every expert uh, out there, tell you, you know, great is a, is a shotgun. Is a shotgun. I mean, that's, uh, you know, really a 12 gauge shotgun compared to a handgun. No comparison up close, you know, what's going to... But a 12-gauge shotgun is a hunting gun, you see? It's a hunting gun. And if you have a 12-gauge shotgun that has an 18 to 20-inch barrel, and it is a a deer hunting shotgun, and it still has, you know, classic wood furniture, but it's our classic, quote, riot gun, but it's really the slug-shooting deer gun, that you can uh, shoot slugs or buckshot out of. Now that firearm is 
merely a sporting firearm, a hunting firearm, and your uh, reason for you know, grabbing that gun was because of the immediacy of the threat that you faced, and you took your hunting shotgun and you defended yourself and your family with it. You never set out to have your Death Slayer 2000. Instead, you have your you know, Remington hunting shotgun in 12-gauge. And as you should know, 12-gauge is extremely powerful. You can have buckshot that are uh, loads that are used for deer, commonly used for deer. Hence the term buckshot, shooting bucks with the shot. Bucks, very effective, very powerful. The other thing interesting about shotguns, particularly pump shotguns and others, is that they're usually the last gun that gets banned. Even in bad jurisdictions, even in countries that have heavy-duty prohibitions on firearms, the shotgun is recognized as more or less a shotgun for uh, foraging game and for putting meat on the table and for hunting. And they're usually the last guns that even get prohibited. And with a shotgun, because of that, you can normally fire ammunition just about everywhere for a 12-gauge shotgun. And interesting thing is if, you know, the stuff hits the fan and ammo gets tough. Uh, and even if you end up finding a box of birdshot that you can still use in your gun, the thing about uh, birdshot is you can turn uh, birdshot into uh, a, a load for the shotgun that can actually take out um, large game or be used in a defensive manner against a person. And the way that that's done is an old poacher's trick. It's called ringing the load. And you ring a load on a birdshot. It's where you cut two half circles at the base of where the plastic hits the brass. And you cut the circles, leaving just a little bit of plastic holding it together. And when you fire it, it breaks off, and the shot stays together as one unit in the uh, shell casing and literally hits the target like a glazer safety slug on steroids. And so you can look online for how to do ringed loads and such. The reason it was an old poacher's trick is uh, poachers would be out in bird season but really wanting to shoot deer, and they game wardens, you know, what's your ammo? And he showed it as bird shot. But in fact, if the load's ringed, you could uh, shoot larger game like deer with it. But it could also become a survival uh, technique or tactic should ammunition get scarce so the 12 gauge is versatile 12 gauge shotguns associated with hunting and if you don't have it in a tactical form you have a hunting shotgun and it would be you know if that's the gun we have to have the jury see well that's a lot better than so many others the other thing thinking in terms of hunting guns really classic hunting gun is a lever action rifle because the lever-action rifle is really associated with deer hunting. And, in fact, there are plenty of them used. I mean, like a Winchester 94 and 3030 is about as classic a deer hunting rifle as you can get. Yet that's a very powerful gun in its own right and plainly can be used effectively for self-defense and has repeat shot ability. 
there's all kinds of variations of lever action rifles and all kinds of calibers. And if you want to pump it up, you get it in 4570, a lever action in 4570. It's extremely powerful round, and uh, it is quite a uh, one shot stop deal with a 4570, but it is still uh, a caliber that wouldn't raise anybody's eyebrows over it. And it is, uh, has no other, you know, magnum tag on it. And it's been around for, you know, uh, over 100 years. And it is a repeater, very powerful, very proven, and very discreet. So again, if you're in this type of jurisdiction, you want to think about these things. And if you're traveling with firearms and you're going into other areas where it's legal for you to have firearms, but you don't want to have something that, again, is uh, uh, too flamboyant, something that might give you a disadvantage should you have to use it and have to defend yourself legally. The lever action is an excellent choice. It repeats. It's not a semi-auto. It's reliable. It's proven. It's classic. And it has a sporting and hunting connotation to it. Any of these guns, particularly with good old blued steel and wood, just have that classic hunting feel. I mean, there's all kinds of modifications that are out there on these classic guns. <clears throat> I even have a lever action that's made by uh, Mossberg that's a zombie lever action, and it's got all modular furniture, and the thing looks like basically like an AR-15, but it's a lever action rifle. Um, it's interesting and cool, but not really in line with what we're talking about here. So the more classic, the better. So what I would uh, strongly advise is to think about these things when it comes to the self-defense firearm that you're choosing to use and where you are living in what jurisdiction. Uh, same, you know, if you can have a revolver instead of an automatic uh, or semi-automatic pistol. Again, a revolver's classic, and there's plenty of great revolvers that can uh, be quite reliable and quite effective in defense. Uh, these are things just to consider. Again, nothing against any gun. I love them all. But I just want you to be the safest you can be. I want you to have the best chance of winning at a trial should you ever have to use force to defend yourself. So ponder these things as it applies to your own situation. Till next time, this is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.